You are listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. There are a lot of exciting things going on at Collective as the new year begins, so make sure you are following us on social media at My Collective Church to stay in the loop. Now here's Sunday's message. All right, I'm going old school to kick things off today. How many of you growing up had and used AOL Instant Messenger? All right, you're aging yourself already. Uh, If you're too young to know what AOL or instant messenger are, just think DMs before social media existed. And what you had to do is you had to hook up a cable to your computer in order for it to connect to the internet. It didn't just exist in the world like it does today. Uh, This would also mean your phone didn't work anymore for whatever reason. Uh, But then you'd go online, you'd open up AOL Instant Messenger so you can message your friends. And really, we all did it just so we could leave these angsty away messages for our crush. All right, back to talking to the old people for a second. How many of you remember your first AOL screen name? Right, your actual first one. Not the one that you changed it to when you got a little bit older, but that thing that's like a deep secret down in your life. When I was in middle school, I begged my parents for months to let me create a screen name so I could talk to my friends. And when they finally said yes, I wanted to pick the perfect one. So I went to school and I asked all my friends and we decided that it should be this, ladies man for life. All right, but here's the thing. You can judge me all you want about this, but I know what your screen names were, right? It was Guitar Stud and Runner Chick and XX Hippie Girl XX, but girl was G-U-R-L, okay? So back off for a second. So after deciding that I was going to be ladies' man for life, I told my parents, and they said, absolutely not, (laughs) Uh, because they knew that I was not, in fact, a ladies' man. (laughs) I was an awkward middle schooler who wore sweatpants every day before it was cool to wear sweatpants every day, Uh, not because I was a trendsetter, I just hated jeans. And so uh, I was awkward and introverted and insecure. I was a teenage boy, but I wanted to be ladies' man for life. And I was so upset because if you remember, your AOL screen name was a chance for you to create a cool identity for yourself. It was an opportunity to create a new identity. It was a chance to kind of rebrand, to create this new label and a new name. Because you didn't pick a screen name based on who you were, sweatpants guy for life. Uh, It was who you wanted to be. The problem is my parents didn't go for it, so I settled on this, uh, Beastie Boy 713. That was my legit first AOL screen name. Not because I love the Beastie Boys, I do, uh, because at the time the word Beastie meant cool, and that's how I wanted to be seen. Like, that's what I wanted my identity to be. Today, we're in week three of our series called God and Work, where we've been confronted with this reality that we spend, on average, 90,000 hours of our life at work. That's 22% of our waking hours. And because this is true, and to be honest, a lot of ways unavoidable, we need to figure out how we can change our approach to work. In one of this series, we learned that work is a gift from God, but it's actually under a curse because of sin. Sin meaning choosing our way over God's way. And I mentioned during that sermon that one of the ways that we see this curse play out with work is that it becomes our identity. Work becomes who we are. We end up trying to find our purpose and our value and our hope in these 90,000 hours. And that's what we're going to dig deeper into today. And so if you're taking notes this morning, here's what I want you to write down at the top of your page. The first thing is this, my work doesn't define who I am. 
My work doesn't define who I am. Every single one of us has a label or an identity or a name that we carry with us that tries to define who we are. It's this I am statement that's on repeat in our hearts and our minds. Most of the time, we received this when we, were, when we were younger, right? The truth is, some of us have labels that have been with us longer than our longest friendships, longer than our careers, longer than we've had faith. In some form or fashion, we have these definitions of who we are, these bad identities that we've taken on, and this is true for every single person in this room. This is true whether you recognize it or not. Let me explain. A label that I took on at an early age was I am not good enough. One of the first times I experienced this was when I was in elementary school, and my best friend got picked to be a part of this really cool academic club, and I didn't. And something inside of me said, I'm not good enough. And this identity has been a huge part of my life. When I got cut from the baseball team as a freshman in high school, not good enough. When I got rejected to the first college I applied to, I'm not good enough. In college, when I was the only ministry major to not get a chance to preach a senior sermon, I'm not good enough. When I tried to get the job that I wanted out of college, didn't get it, I'm not good enough. Because the reality is I'm not ladies man for life and I'm not beastie boy, I am not good enough. And that sounds weird, but you guys get the point. And that's the name that I've carried around for the better part of 30 years. And I hate to admit it, but I've spent so much of my life trying to prove that identity wrong. I've spent so much of my life trying to prove that I am good enough. And to do that, I've tried to be the hardest worker in the room. I've tried to be the boldest, toughest, strongest person in the room. I've even tried to be the most aggressive and confrontational person in the room. And the reason I would do that was essentially to push you away and push other people away before they came to the conclusion that I felt everyone was coming to, which is that I'm not good enough. And so what would your I am statement be? We all, we all have them. Sadly, this is a huge part of our life. Even Jesus experienced this. One time Jesus was in his hometown of Nazareth teaching about the kingdom of heaven and everyone was amazed by what he was sharing. They loved his wisdom and, and they just loved what he was teaching. But as he was teaching this, some people realized that he was Jesus, right? the kid who grew up in the same neighborhood they did. In Matthew 13, it says, then they scoffed, and they said, he's just the carpenter's son. Right? They're saying, you aren't special. You aren't important. You aren't good enough. You don't matter to us. You are just the carpenter's son. And so I don't know what, I am, what your I am statement is. Maybe you grew up in an abusive home, you had a parent walk out on you, had a friend turn their back on you, and you got this label at an early age of I am unlovable. And because of that, you've spent your whole life wanting to be wanted, wanting to be loved. What is the bad identity that you've taken on? Right? I am ugly. I am dumb. I am forgettable. I am easy. I'm annoying, I'm worthless, I'm a failure, a bad parent, a bad spouse, a bad person. And I know that you've spent so much of your life working to bury that identity or hide that label or fight that name, but I want you to think of it right now. I am what? How would you fill in that blank? Now what I want you to do is I want you to keep that locked in your brains because we're gonna come back to that. The question is, why am I talking about this during our series on work? And here's why. When we're kids, we try to prove these names wrong by acting out, standing out, and dishing it back out. But when we grow up, the number one way we try to prove these labels wrong is through our work. 
Right? Remember what I talked about a few weeks ago. Work is anything that moves the creation project forward. Right? Work is your career. If you're a student, it's school. If you're a stay-at-home parent, it's your kids. And what we have this tendency to do is to try to prove these names wrong through our accomplishments. We, we try to prove these labels wrong by grabbing new titles, by, by getting the best grades, by earning more degrees, by filling up our bank accounts, by climbing up the corporate ladder. We have these names, these bad identities, these labels that we're trying to get rid of, and we are looking to our work to give us new ones because we believe that we need work to tell us who we are. And maybe you don't believe that is true for you, so here are a few signs that you might look for your identity in your work and your accomplishments. Here's the first one. When we need work to tell us who we are, success goes to our head. We need the accomplishments. We need the recognition and the rewards and the results. We need the promotions to validate who we are. We need to be renamed, and we are looking for our careers to do that for us. And when we are celebrated or promoted at work, we get this adrenaline rush, and it just feels so good. And that, that's when we tell ourselves, that's what I needed. This proves that I'm enough. This proves that I'm wanted. This proves that I am capable and this success becomes addictive. It starts to go to our heads. And this is why we become workaholics. Because without work, we don't know who we are. We need work. We need the success at work to tell us who we are so we work harder and later and we neglect our families and we try to kill ourselves to get that one last addicting shot of success in our arms. We are looking at our jobs and our accomplishments and we're saying, work, I need you to tell me that I'm good enough. When we need work to tell us who we are, success goes to our heads. Here's another sign that we're looking for our identity in our work, and it's based on how we handle failure. Because when we need work to tell us who we are, failure goes to our heart. This is why the criticism or the demotion or the layoff feels so devastating. This is why when we fail at work, we think that we are failing as people. This is why we avoid doing hard things at work, because we don't want to put ourselves in the position to fail. Because our jobs and our identity are inseparable. And so when work is going poorly, we take it personally and our identities take a hit. When the project we're working on fails, when you get passed up for the promotions, when you let, get let go because of budget cuts, when you miss your quota, what do you do with that information? You don't think about it logically and say, this isn't good, but now I know how to get better from this. Now I know how to grow because of what I've been through. It goes straight to our heart. There is no learning or growing or adjusting. It's just those I am statements getting louder and louder and louder. I'm worthless. I am dumb. I'm a failure. This is just who I am. Failure goes to our hearts because we need success to feel better about ourselves. We're looking at our jobs and our accomplishments, and we're saying, tell me that I'm worthy. Tell me that I'm lovable. Tell me that I'm wanted. When we need work to tell us who we are, failure goes to our hearts. And here's the third sign that we are looking for our identity in work. When we need work to tell us who we are, we are constantly comparing ourselves to other people. This is a cycle that we end up in. And maybe this sounds familiar. You work in sales and you just finished your best quarter ever, but guess what? So did the new guy. And even though you crushed it, like you just did such a good job because someone did better than you, how do you feel? Like you still aren't good enough. Or how about this? You're a stay-at-home mom, and you finally got your kids to bed after a really long day. Like, sure, the kids didn't get a bath, and your house is a disaster, but you had a good day. 
You went to the park, you ran some errands, you had intentional time with them before bed, but then you grab a glass of wine, you sit down on the couch to unwind, and without thinking, you open up Instagram, and the first thing you see is that post from that neighbor down the street. And she's bragging about how she took her kids to the zoo, cleaned the house, got them bathed, taught them the preamble to the Constitution, and still had time to bake the brownies for the PTO meeting the next day. So you had a really good day, but, but so did she, and, and there's this mom on Instagram who's just killing it at motherhood, so how do you feel? Like a bad mom. You feel like you are a failure. When we need work to tell us who we are, we constantly compare ourselves to other people. We start to read other people's success as a failure of our own. And I'm not exempt from this by any means. I have always struggled with finding my identity and being the lead pastor of Collective. The success and failure of this church has felt like success and failure in my own life. This all bottomed out a few years ago because the label of not being good enough was coming out sideways in this job. And please hear me when I say this. This job did not create that wound in me. This church didn't give me that label. It started in childhood. But more than anything else in my life, this job pressed on that and pushed on that and tore at that. And I know that I'm not alone in this. Our identity is so wrapped up in our jobs that we are unhealthy. We carry around these identities, these labels, these names, and we are looking to our work to fix it all. We're looking to our careers to show us who we really are. We are praying that our accomplishments make us feel better about ourselves because we need work to describe who we are. And if we are being honest, we would say that work is letting us down. Because work and accomplishments, success and failure, they come and go. They are here today and gone tomorrow. And when it comes to our work, it's a roller coaster, and our identities are along for the ride. So what do we do? How do we make sure we don't spend 90,000 hours of our life attaching who we are to what we do? How do we break free from finding our identity in our accomplishments? The solution is that we need someone whose voice is louder than our accomplishments, someone whose voice is stronger than the people who have heard us in the past, someone whose voice is more powerful than our parents or our exes or our siblings or that one boss. We need someone to tell us who we truly are so we can shed these wrong identities. And if we can get this right, if we can figure this out, everything else will fall into place. And we will stop building our identities around our work. And so the question is, whose voice is louder and stronger than the ones who have labeled us? Well, cutting through the deafening roar of success and failure is one constant voice. And he says this in Isaiah 43. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, he who formed you. This is a decree. God is saying this strongly and with conviction. And he says, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. To be redeemed means that we were bought with a price, and that price was Jesus' life. And so God says, this is what I declare. You have value, and I paid this price for you so that I can say strongly and passionately and boldly, I don't call you by the names you call yourself. I call you by your name, and you are mine. For decades now, we've had these bad identities impact everything that we do, and we're looking to our work and our accomplishments to prove them wrong. Meanwhile, we have this God who says, I don't evaluate you. I don't measure you based on your performance. We have this God who says, I measure you based on what Jesus has done, which means I don't call you weak. I don't call you stupid. I don't call you worthless or unlovable or a failure. 
I don't call you by any of those names. I call you by your name. I just call you Michael. And I call you mine. And so what do we need? We need to set our identity on who Jesus says we are and what he has accomplished. Because it's not about what we have done. It's what Jesus has done for us. This is not about what we have done. It's about what he has done for you. And he has taken every single one of your failures, every terrible thing you've done in the past or you'll do today or you will do in the future, all of your guilt and your shame and your selfishness, all of your sin, and he put it to death when he was nailed to a cross. That is what Jesus has done for you. Romans 5 says it like this, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So because of the sacrifice that Jesus made, your sin and your failures are not a factor in your relationship with God anymore. And because of this, Jesus is speaking up and he's saying, from here on out, I reserve the sole right to define you. From here on out, I'm the only one who gets to call you names. From here on out, I get to define who you are. And Jesus earned that right when he gave up his life for us. Jesus earned the right to give us a new name, a new identity, a new label when he died for us on the cross and resurrected from the dead three days later. And here's what he calls us. First John 3 says this, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. He calls us children of God. That is our true identity. And if we could just set our foundation on who Jesus says we are, if we could reset how we see ourselves by looking to Jesus' accomplishments and not our own, everything else in our life would begin to fall into place. Think about work. If your identity was found in Jesus, success wouldn't be a lifeline anymore. It wouldn't be addicting. Success would just be an indicator that you're doing good things and that you're on the right track and you should keep going. If your identity was found in Jesus, failure wouldn't be heartbreaking anymore. It would just be an indicator that you're on the wrong track, that you need to learn and adjust and keep going. If your identity was found in Jesus, the comparison game would be a moot point because you would know who you are. You wouldn't need to compare yourselves to other people anymore. If our identity was found in Jesus, we would know that we are the sons and the daughters of a good and loving God. A few months ago, my youngest daughter, Harper, was making bracelets for her friends. Uh, Somehow, we own about 20 bracelet-making kits that are made up of 1,000 beads that my children just spill everywhere in our house. They're, They're everywhere. Just a few days ago, I was walking out to my car, and I was like, there's something in my shoe, and I took my shoe off. It was a bead. Uh, I've pulled beads out of my dog's fur. Uh, I've found beads in our refrigerator. They're just everywhere in our house. And even though I hate these things, please don't buy my kids these things, uh, my kids are obsessed with making these bracelets, especially Harper. But Harper is only five years old, and oftentimes the beads are really small, and they, they don't really fit well on the strings that come with the kits. And on this particular day, she was just having the hardest time. She was just struggling to figure it all out. And I could see her start to get frustrated. And so she tried to slide a bead onto the string, and it would just slide right off the other side. And so she would try to fix it and start over, but it just wasn't happening. And after another failed attempt, she threw the string and the bead onto the table, and she put her hands in her, her head in her arms, and she just started sobbing. Right? And she's, she is an ugly crier, right? 
it's, it's, you know, it's just that heavy thing. And so I walked over, and she's just sobbing. And I asked her, do you need any help? And she said, I can't do it because I am too stupid, right? I don't know. I have no idea where my kid learned something like that. I have no idea. And this broke my heart as her dad because I don't ever want her to feel that way. Right? I know that feeling, and I don't want her to feel that feeling. I feel like I need to protect her from that feeling. But you could just see in this little five-year-old girl this human nature bent toward taking on an identity that isn't hers. You could see already as a five-year-old this human nature bent toward finding her sense of self and finding who she is and on what she can do and what she can accomplish. Now, by no means am I a perfect father, But from my point of view, as Harper's dad, do you think my valuation of her identity goes down because she can't figure out how to make a stupid bracelet? Do you think I define her or want her to define herself based on what she can and cannot do? And do you think I start calling her names like dumb and not good enough and a failure because she didn't accomplish what she set out to accomplish? Of course not. And that is because she is mine. Right? That's that's my kid. That's my Harper, that's my daughter, and I am her father. And I love her no matter what. She is always good enough for me, and that's that. And because of Jesus, we have a perfect version of this. When it comes to our relationship with God, who is our father, he looks at us and says, I don't call you by the names you call yourself. I call you by your name, and you are mine. You are my son, who I love. You are my daughter, who I love. And that is that, end of story. Not up for debate. And if we could just set our identity on that, everything else in our lives would change. One of the best descriptions, I think, of God comes from Psalm 3.3, and it says this, but you, O Lord, are a shield around me, meaning you protect me. You are my glory, meaning you're the most valuable thing in my life. And here's the best part. This is my favorite. It says, you are the one who holds my head high. And it's just this image of God walking up to his children, walking up to us when our heads are hung into feet, and it's him putting his hand and his finger under our chin and lifting our heads back up to our true confidence and true security and back to our true identity, who he says we are. So here's what I want us to do right now. I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to hang your head. Maybe bow like you are getting ready to pray or put your head in your hands. Assume this posture of defeat, this one that you kind of sit in, maybe not physically, but emotionally all the time. And remember at the beginning when I told you to think of that bad identity, that thing that you've been carrying around your whole entire life, your I am statement, I want you to think about it right now. And I'm not going to leave you in this place, but this is where we have to start. And so think about the name or label or identity that you've been tormented by for years. I am what? I am stupid. I am worthless. I am unimportant. I'm a screw-up. I'm unwanted. I'm unlovable. What's your bad identity? Think about this right now. And in this moment, I want you to say it to yourself in your head like you've been saying it for years. And here's what we're going to do. Keep your eyes closed. Keep your head hung because I'm going to tell you what God says about you. I'm going to walk us through our true identities based on what Jesus has accomplished for us. This is some of the best news that I could ever share with you. And as I do that, I want you to keep your, heads clo- or your eyes closed and your heads hung. And when you are ready to listen to a voice that is louder and stronger and clearer than the one that has defined you your entire life, when you are ready to listen to God's definition of who you are as opposed to your own, I want you to open your eyes and lift your head. Really, I want you to imagine God is saying these things to you and he's putting that finger under your chin and he's lifting your head high. 
This, this is what God says about you. Because of Jesus, God says you are forgiven. You are not your guilt and shame. You are not defined by your past. You are not your mistakes and your outright failures. And that's because God says you are forgiven. Because of Jesus, God says you are free, which means you're not a slave to the bad identity that you've been carrying around for your entire life. You're not a slave to your family history, and you're not a slave to success or failure. And that's because God says you are free. Because of Jesus, God says you are treasured and valued, which means you are not forgettable, you are not overlooked, you are not unwanted. God says you are treasured and you are valued. Because of Jesus, God says you are here on purpose for a purpose. This means you are not a mistake. You are not some accident of the cosmos. Your life is not inconsequential in this universe. And that's because God says you are here on purpose for a purpose. Because of Jesus, God says you are loved. No, you are not hated. No, you are not irredeemable. No, you are not too far gone. And that's because God says you are loved. And last one for today. Because of Jesus, God says you are worth dying for, which means no, you are not worthless. You are worth a very great price, and Jesus paid that price, and that's because God says that you are worth dying for. Now, everyone in here, open up your eyes and lift up your heads. Look at those words on the screens. Look at that definition of who God says you are. And listen to me as I tell you that this is who you are. This, this is who you are, not because of what you've done or what you can do. This is because of what Jesus has done, who God says you are. You know, one of the reasons every single week we get up on stage and we encourage people and we challenge people to get baptized, right? to check the baptism box on their connection card, to set up a conversation about putting their faith in Jesus and following him. The reason why we do this every single week is because we need Jesus' voice to be louder than all the other voices from our past, present, and future. We need to find our identity in what Jesus has done and who God says we are. And the way that you set that fa- your foundation on that isn't simply by hearing a sermon, It isn't just by taking notes or going back to it later. It's by putting your faith in him and getting baptized. Because when you get baptized, what you're saying is, this is my foundation. This is where my trust lies. It's not about what I've done, but what Jesus has done for me. And here's what the people in this room who have been baptized understand. There are moments when those I am statements won't relent. Just because you trust Jesus doesn't mean those I am statements go away. But when they do, we don't have to think back to something that Michael said. Right? We get to think back to our baptism. The moment we made the decision to choose new life and a new identity and a new name. And think about it like this. Psalm 3 says that God holds our heads up high, but the truth is some of you won't let him. And the reason is because you have doubts that you want all the answers for, but the truth is you're never going to get all the answers that you want. Some of you won't let him do that because you feel too broken or too sinful, even though Jesus died for us, knowing we would always be broken and sinful. And we just mess up again and again and again. Some of you won't let him do this because you are just too stubborn. And you want to try to fix that I am statement on your own. So I guess I'm pleading with you today, let God do what God wants to do. Look at these words again. This is who you are. When you are single and lonely and you're eating dinner all by yourself again, this is who you are. When you are married with kids but you feel overwhelmed, this is who you are. This is who you are when you get promoted. This is who you are when you get laid off. This is who you are when you are addicted and ashamed. This is who you are when you've been ignored and abused and abandoned. This is who you are. 
And this isn't up for debate. You can argue with it all you want in your head, but you're arguing with the God of the universe who chose to create you and chose to give you these names. You are forgiven. You are free. You are treasured and valued. You are here on purpose for a purpose. You are loved, and you are worth dying for. And God is the only one who gets to tell you who you are. And he says, you are mine. You are my son. You are my daughter, and I love you no matter what. He is greater than your success, he is stronger than your failure, and he is louder than the voices who have tried to define you for years. Let's pray. God, um, some of us have had that I am statement rolling through their hearts and their minds longer than they even knew you existed, even believed you existed, even considered that you might exist. God, God, we hear this every single day. But yet, God, uh, all you want for us when we hear those I am statements is to replace the words not enough or unwanted or unlovable with forgiven and free and treasured and worth dying for. So God, I pray for everyone here who has struggled to find their identity in a million different things. God, maybe it's work, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's money, titles, whatever it may be. God, I pray that we stop trying to find who we are in other people and other things, and we find it in you. Because God, it's not about what we have done or what we can do. It's about the fact that you sent your son to live a perfect life to die on a cross for us that when we put our faith in him, when we follow him, when we celebrate that through baptism, we are renamed. And the names you give us are so much better than the ones that other people have given us for years. So much better than the names that we've hold, held on to for most of our life. So God, help us find our true identity in you. God, help us remember that our true identity is found in you. Because God, the truth is, even for those of us who follow Jesus, there are still times where we hear that I am statement louder than your voice. God, help us hear your voice just cut through all the rest. God, we don't understand why you love us. We don't understand why you want to call us your sons and daughters. Um, but it's not really up to us to decide that. It's up to you, and you, you do. And God, we're just so thankful for that. God, we thank you for loving us and pray these things in your name. Amen.